TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. And away we go. Survive and thrive, both professionally and personally. The show must go on, at least for now. This is Scoop Podcast episode... 311 on this Tuesday night, the 25th of August. We will make this podcast Wolf-centric. I've got a conversation later in the week with Derek Falvey. I caught up with Paul Molitor the other day. So I've got some other interviews to bring you in the near future whenever the schedule allows some studio time to record a podcast. But for right now, let's make this a Wolf-centric podcast. Let me begin with... Some background on Glenn Taylor potentially selling the Wolves and Lynx. If you listen to this podcast, you know the name Daniel E. Strauss. I would just say this much because the story's been advanced both in the Star Tribune and the Athletic this week, although I'm not quite sure there's any new details compared to if you listen to this podcast, stuff you would have already known. But certainly more people are now aware because they saw it in one of those two outlets. I will say this much. There is still a long way to go. This is not a done deal by any stretch. Yes, Daniel E. Strauss, his group, had an exclusive negotiating window. I'm led to believe that expired on August 15th. He was in town prior to August 15th earlier this month, did a site survey in downtown Minneapolis, talked to some business leaders. Yes, he would be the leader in the clubhouse. But at this point, I would not say it is 100%. I mean, this is going to be one huge transaction. There is a ton of vetting out that needs to take place. So by no means is it a done deal. Just realize that this is a lengthy, lengthy process. But yeah, should you continue to know all about Daniel E. Strauss, the former limited partner of the Memphis Grizzlies? Absolutely. I've been asked, hey, is Steve Kaplan? Kaplan almost bought the Wolves a few years ago. He knows Strauss well. Is Kaplan part of Strauss's group? I'm told no. I've been asked, is Kevin Garnett part of Strauss's group? I'm told no. I don't foresee KG joining the Strauss group anytime before any transaction would take place. If KG joins, it would be after, if it happens at all. But there's been no dialogue in that regard, at least from what I've gathered. Also, I've been asked if Meyer Orbach is part of the Daniel E. Strauss group. I am told no. I don't know who also is in that group. But I know that Daniel E. Strauss has talked to Glenn Taylor, has talked to the ring people. They have been pushing this process forward. So it's still a ways away. I think it's when, not if. I think Glenn Taylor and his wife, Becky, don't underestimate Becky in this process. I think they're more willing than ever to sell Glenn now at 79 years old. But that doesn't mean that it's a 100% done deal. At this point, I still think it'll happen. I think it'll happen, though, before next season starts. When will next season start? Christmas, January, maybe March. I think it's still months out. But, yeah, no doubt that you should know all about Daniel E. Strauss. But that was true even before this week's stories in The Athletic and The Star Tribune. All right, let me begin with my conversation from earlier today with ESPN's Bobby Marks, the former assistant GM of the Brooklyn Nets. He does great work. For ESPN, we talked all things Wolves that at least I could think of. Here's my conversation with Bobby Marks. Bobby, now that we've had a few days to digest the Wolves moving up to pick one, I guess what are your thoughts as you canvass the league? What sort of feedback are you getting? And I guess just how good of a spot are the Wolves in with that number one pick? Well, I mean, I think I think you could look at it two different ways. I think the first way is from a talent base as far as, right, you have the number one pick, so you control uh, the draft. I know this is not Zion Williamson and Ja Morant and, you know, those Carl Anthony Towns, right, those kind of transformative players here. Um, but you do have, you know, you have the right to do how you see it, if you keep it or if you want to move it. I think the great thing for Minnesota is that it gives them so many different options now. And I think Gerson said that um, if you keep it or if you trade it, um, you know, do you look at moving back? Do you look to try to maybe go out and get an established player to pair with Carl and, and D'Angelo here? So, uh, and then you also have, you know, those other two, 17 and 33 are two good picks to have also because, 
you know, I look at it, you know, what does 17 and 33 get, right? Does it get you into the lottery now? Um, so I think it just gives them so many different options um, that they can look at. Um, I don't think, you know, I think how this process goes where they'll interview probably a hundred different guys during this. I think, you know, you're a little, you're hampered a little bit. We don't know what the individual workout stuff will happen. Um, but I just think it gives them, they might've had maybe uh, 30 options going into the night of the lottery. And I think we probably now double it um, for that front office. I mean, any doubt, Bobby, that Gerson is already working the phones? <laughs> I mean, he has to be, right? Oh, yeah, you have to be. I think you have to. Well, yeah, I think it's kind of like a step-by-step -step process. It's almost like kind of throwing out that bait to see maybe what's going, who's going to nibble on. Um, you know, we, we are still probably at least six weeks away, maybe even further, right? I mean, we don't know if this draft could be pushed back to maybe November or December based on, um, on, on free agency, but I'm sure his whiteboard in his office or in, in Sachin's office are going to be filled with, um, with multiple options. And it, it's now it's about, all right, how do the picks compare to NBA level players here, right? So if um, I throw out a hypothetical, what is the value of pick number one and pick 117 and 33 for a player like John Collins, right? Like, those are different scenarios that you have to think about in your mind. What are those, um, does those picks have uh, value when you're looking at a player like Ben Simmons, right? Guys that we don't know if they'll be available, but just those NBA established players, um, that's, that's everything that you have to look at. All right, well, let me ask you about some of those guys, including Ben yeah. Simmons. I'll start with Ben. Bobby, I don't think it's realistic that Philadelphia trades Ben before next season, but what do you think? If Gerson calls Elton Brand and says, here's one, here's some other pieces, are you willing to move Ben Simmons? What do you think Elton says? Probably not. He'll probably say, you know what, we have a, we're going to hire a new coach. I want to go through a year and see where how Ben and Joel fit with uh, – with, uh, if it's Ty Lue, if it's, um, you know, with someone – if they keep, you know, Emma Oduka, who, um, you know, is on their staff – uh, I don't. I don't see Simmons becoming available just because of, um, you know, if I was if I was Allen, I'd probably want to take a wait and see. You know, especially he's going into year one of that rookie max contract. You have him for another five years. Let's see where he is from the injury standpoint. But yeah, I would. It's hard for me to think that he'll be um, he'll be out on the market. All right, John Collins. You brought up John Collins. Does Atlanta yeah. want the hometown kid, Anthony Edwards? You know, would Atlanta entertain some sort of six plus Collins? Clearly, I think the Wolves would have to give up more than one, but could you see a potential match there, Minnesota and Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, I think Collins is going to be interesting just because he's rookie extension eligible. What is going to be his price tag? He's been pretty out front saying that he's looking for top dollar here. Uh, of course, they don't have to do anything. Um, we don't know how he fits with Clint Capella, right? I mean, you got Capella in the trade, and they have not played um, together um, at all. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's the type of thinking that if you're in Minnesota and how does, how would a guy like John Collins fit next to Carl? Um, that's, that's your, that's the, the many options that, you know, you kind of spitball internally. Devin Booker to me is completely unrealistic, Bobby, especially after the way Phoenix played yeah. in the Orlando bubble. But as you can imagine, Wolves fans are just, it's out of control, Bobby. They remember that slant <laughs> magazine cover. They know how tight. The three of them are Russell, Booker, Cat. Like, that's the question I get on social media, Bobby, more than anything. What about Devin Booker? And I try to tell everybody, I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I don't either. And I think the, the, the play in Phoenix, you know, certainly, I mean, playing in the bubble where Phoenix went 8-0, I think cemented that. I think if you're James Jones, their uh, general manager saying like, hey, we've got this foundation here with Mikael Bridges. Uh, Cam Johnson, uh, DeAndre Ayton, let's look to bet the, to build off this instead of kind of taking a step back and just getting more uh, more draft draft picks. How about your former franchise, the Nets? Would they entertain moving Karis Lavert at all? His former agent, Joe Branch, is in the Wolves front office. I love Lavert. I personally wouldn't move him if I were the Nets, but if you're the Wolves, would that be a name that should intrigue you? Yeah, it should, but I don't know. I mean, especially where Brooklyn is right now with uh, with Durant and Kyrie coming back. Um, you know, they're another team that needs a new head coach. I don't see them going the more number one route for 
giving up an established player. And I wrote about Karras saying, you know, we all talk about Brooklyn saying they're in that their search for that third star and they might have that third star kind of right under their own, their own nose. But yeah, I mean, that's, you know, there, what I've learned in, in the league is that there's no trade that would offend people. Well, maybe if you call and ask for um, Kawhi or um, LeBron, but you throw things out there because eventually there'll be at a, a point in time when you have a little turmoil of your roster, you start asking those internal questions like, maybe we need to go in a different direction. And you keep this, this notebook of trade proposals. And, you know, if it was a year ago, you go back to that, go back to that trade. But yeah, I think it's hard for me to, to see um, Brooklyn parting ways for, um, for a guy like Karras. Buddy Heald do anything for you? I mean, we don't even know who's going to be calling the yeah. shots in Sacramento. He was horrible in yeah. Orlando. Like, if he plays like that moving forward, Bobby, that to me is is a negative contract. But I personally think there's a lot more there. Would Buddy Heald, I mean, maybe it's Buddy in pick 12. Is one too much to give up for Buddy in pick 12, for example? Well, I, I think one, and then what do you do with Malik, right? Then that kind of comes into that factor as far as what the, you know, are you comfortable paying $40 million combined to your two guards with healed in, in, uh, in Beasley. So you're right. He did not have a good, um, could not have a good Orlando summer league, but the, that, those are the things, as I call them, those are the buyer remorse trades, right? The, the, the guys that were signed to um, either extensions or contracts, if it was Harrison Barnes or Tobias Harris or Al Horford, those type of guys that are probably there for the taking, but, you know, are you comfortable with that salary? As I always say, like, if um, if Buddy Heald was a free agent, right, would you sign him to four years, $90 million with cap space? I mean, that's kind of like the litmus test I always give. I'll hit you with three more. Victor Oladipo. Yeah, just wrote about Victor in the, uh, in the Pacers offseason article. Uh, he's going into that expiring contract on a, on a really good – off a really good rookie extension – um, Pacers are restricted to offer him no more than four years, 113 million on an extension. Will likely turn it down. Um, I give Victor credit for playing in Orlando. I know there was a lot of scuttlebutt about even being down there, uh, going into an expiring, coming off the injury. Um, did not play great. Uh, did have a pretty good game four, but that's an interesting name. Now, are you comfortable paying him top dollar when he becomes a, a free agent? Who are you bidding against? Can he get back to that all-star form? Um, but that is certainly uh, an, an intriguing name there. Drew Holiday, who does have a player option in a year, so I guess comparable to Oladipo, you know, you don't know if you'd have him long-term. What are you comfortable paying him? But what about maybe New Orleans moving Drew Holiday? Yeah, Holiday's interesting just because, it, and I wrote about it a year ago, we would have probably pegged him as one of those guys that would be opting out of that deal in um, – in 21, 22, we don't know where that salary cap's going to be. So that, that $27 million is not a guarantee that he can go out and get that same contract, especially on a, on a long-term, uh, long-term deal. But yeah, the Pelicans, another team that have a lot of decisions to make, right? The Brandon Ingram extension, Lonzo Ball's eligible for an extension, Josh Hart's ex extension eligible. I think, I think David Griffin down there has to get a comfort level. I think he, a, a holiday is extension eligible. So you can do a, Kyle Lowry type deal three for 90 million dollars and see where that goes I don't think Tommy Shepard would do it but do you need to call Washington and at least inquire about Bradley Beal I, I think you do but I don't think Tommy's at that point yet I think if you're the Wizards I think you want to see where that that Beal wall combination is where John is health wise um, you know I think if they're if Wall's healthy with some of their younger players now you had a lottery pick they'll be probably a team that will compete for that that back end of the um back into the playoffs. So I don't think the Wizards are quite there yet. I think if Beal was going into an expiring contract, then yeah, I think that's worth, worth floating out there. One more I lied. Chicago, how do you look at the, at the new Bulls front office? I mean, yeah. do they like LaMelo Ball? Is LaMelo Ball a fit there? I mean, would they entertain four plus Lori Markinen, four plus Wendell Carter Jr.? I mean, is there a possibility that Minnesota and Chicago could match up? Yeah, I mean, it's almost deja vu from Jimmy, right? From, uh, from what was that, three years ago. And it's, it's interesting with Artoris, Karnishvis, who, you know, the roster that he inherits is kind of a little bit of a mixed bag. You have a lot of these former lottery picks with, with Wendell Carter and Kobe White. 
Um, you've got Zach Levine, who's kind of that borderline all-star. And then you've got a bunch of – and Laurie Markkinen, too, as far as his, his rookie extension eligible. Then you got a bunch of these kind of these veterans with Thaddeus Young and Tomas Sadoransky. So how does that fit? Markkinen is interesting. If you're our tourist, you want another year to kind of evaluate him. He's coming off not a great year. We don't know who's going to be the head coach there. Um, you know, what is, you know, what is flopping one four? Can if you're a tourist at four, do you like something that, you know, that maybe would be at one there? So it's, it's interesting there, but it, you kind of almost see them taking that, that kind of that patient approach. You brought up Malik Beasley. A, what's a fair offer for Malik? And I get a lot of questions, Bobby, about yeah. the idea of the Wolves signing and trading Malik. But correct me if I'm wrong. I can't remember. Has there even been a sign and trade the last few years? I guess just the, the new CBA, the way things are written, isn't it really hard to execute a sign and trade? Yeah, I mean, it's we saw a bunch last offseason with Durant going to Brooklyn and, and D'Angelo going to That's right, D'Angelo. Uh, State and but Jimmy they're Butler. still rare, right? Yeah, oh, very rare. I mean, what, what's, what, what's hard with the sign and trade, there's a couple of things. A, it hard caps the, the team that is acquiring the player, uh, meaning now you are, you cannot exceed a certain threshold we saw that with golden state and golden state was miami were really hamstrung with their roster as far as where they are i don't i don't know if um you know malik would do that for another team if he's making 15 million dollars but and the other thing too is that and it's it's a complicated rule which they call base your compensation where um, because malik is getting a significant pay raise his his salary doesn't count as full um, going out. It would only count as 50% of it. So as I call it, it's like the Rubik's Cube, right? It looks good on one side, and then when you kind of flip it over, you got yellow and red and orange, and it's hard to kind of kind of hard uh, to line up. So we have seen more signing trades um, last year for about a four-year, five-year period. We saw nothing, right? It was kind of it was a dead period here. So um that's a challenge i mean you have him as a restricted free agent they'll give him an offer sheet now it's a matter of, i mean a, a qualifying offer now it's a matter for him to go out and get an offer right go out and see where your market is is it you think it's 14 million 13 million dollars or if you're gerson you you want to take a proactive approach with him i mean who pays him i mean i don't see the fit in detroit i don't see it in charlotte I don't know, maybe New York. I mean, there's not a lot of teams, you know this, with cap space. Like, I don't see the logical fit for Malik. No, you're right. I mean, we look at, we can go down to Atlanta. We can go to, uh, Charlotte's been, uh, Mitch Kupchak's been pretty much on the record that he's going to build through the, build through the, uh, build through the draft. You've got Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier. It's a process of elimination, right? You go with Detroit. They've got Luke Kennard. Uh, Miami's not going to commit long-term money. Um, I think we can take Phoenix kind of out of the equation because I think they're probably leaning towards more of their own guy. And then, of course, New York. That's kind of like the wild card. And are they willing to kind of jump into the deep end right off the bat, right? $15 million per year on a, on a Malik Beasley. And uh, I, don't, I don't think they're there. Take us back to 2000. So you were in the yeah. Nets front office. The draft was actually here in Minneapolis. It was, it was at Target Center. You guys had the number one pick. You went with Kenyon Martin, but like, take us through that process, what it was like in those, in those weeks and months leading up to you guys ultimately selecting Martin number one. Yeah, so we, um, I think we were either eight or nine um, going into the lottery. We took a huge jump. Um, uh, the lottery was in Seacaucus, kind of like it was last week, but a little bit different settings here. I think it was in a parking lot with a big tent in, the, in there. And, um, you know, Kenyon was a heck of a college player at Cincinnati, but he had broken his leg um, in right before, I think, I guess it was Conference USA, right before that started. And um, that was not a strong draft. Uh, it was Kenyon. It was Mike Miller. Um, it was Darius Miles, Stroh Miles Swift. Those were the type of guys. And we brought Kenyon in um, for a workout in June. Um, and I remember it clearly because back in those days, you can, when you go pick up, pick up players, you can go right to the gate, right? Like there was no security that you were walking to. You just go to gate C 20 at Newark airport and you just wait outside there. And I remember Kenyon coming in with his agent, Dan Fagan, and we had just hired Byron Scott as the head coach. Uh, Rod Thorne had just taken over and we put Kenyon through a workout and about 20 minutes through the workout, he could not go anymore. You know, like he just took his sneakers off and he just sat on the side because he was coming off this injury. He was not in good shape here. 
and you're thinking like, we've got the number one pick. This is like the only year not to have the number one pick. And um, we, uh, we wound up going with Kenyon just because of, we felt like long-term, um, we, we felt that he could get back to where he was um, uh, at Cincinnati. And uh, the beauty of Rod Thorne was that, and this was not just in 2000, but every year that um, he would owe you to have buyer's remorse, right? Like you go, you pick that player and then you're like, Oh man, I, I think we, we should have went with Darius Miles, you know, like you think, or Mike Miller or Stroh Miles Swift, but you know, we had Kenyon for four years and then we wound up doing a sign and trade to Denver and want to get a bunch of draft picks. But yeah, it's, it's interesting because even though you had that number one pick, you still have to go through the process, right? Like you still have to interview the guys behind him. You also maybe interview guys that maybe are in the teens. If you're thinking of, um, if you're thinking of moving back and it's, it's similar like what we did in the following year, we had pick seven, I believe. And uh, we wound up moving back and got 14, 21, and I think 28 um, and took Richard Jefferson and Jason Collins and that group. And we had done our homework on that, you know, we, that, and that's similar to what Minnesota is probably going to have to do just, just because you have one, doesn't mean that the kind of the draft ends after that. And although they do have 17 and 33 too. But I mean, that is the interesting parallel when you talked about, you know, that, that draft in 2000, Bobby, where maybe there wasn't a consensus number one, that's the parallel right to the position that Rosas is in, right? With there really isn't seemingly a consensus number one pick this year. No, there isn't. I, I almost label this year as like the NFL draft, right? It's almost like some teams are going to look at it as positional fits we can go back to how it's always based on need or best available. Um, you're going to get teams in the, in the lottery that are going to be taking a point guard. Um, you know, when you need a point guard, maybe that guy maybe ranks 15 on their board and you're taking him at eight because that you see that as a, as, as a positional need here. But yeah, I mean, um, you know, the draft is, a, it's a top heavy point guard draft. I mean, it really is the initial look at it. I mean, we could have, maybe 10 guys going to top, um, the top 30 here. Um, so yeah, I mean, you, you have a lot of work to still to be done that, that front office in Minnesota is, you know, they're, they're nowhere near probably coming to a consensus as far as what they, uh, what they're going to do. But that's, as I talked about, we talked about earlier, that is the beauty of the lottery and getting number one pick that it gives you so many options. I mean, do you think ball could fit here that, that he'd be predominantly on the ball? So then you would play D'Angelo off the ball, but you know, whether it was in Brooklyn. I mean, I think when, when D'Angelo was at his best in Brooklyn, he was off the ball a yeah. bunch. Like, he can play off the ball. So, I mean, could you see a backcourt with LaMelo Ball and D'Angelo Russell? I could. I don't know how much. I, don't, I think if you're, the, if you're taking the uh, – if you're a gambler, you'd probably have to take the over a lot in those games. I don't know how much defensively where you are, but he is a heck of a talent. I mean, he's got – I mean, he's, he's got the size – um, as I say, you're buying stock for the future, right? Based on, you know, it wasn't like he was in college for three years. I had an opportunity. And, and one of the things I've been doing besides, you know, my ESPN work writing is that I've been helping out preparing drop these draft prospects for their interviews. And he was one of the guys I had an opportunity to talk to and, and work with for about an hour and a half. And I had no idea what I was walking myself into. And it was a pleasure. He has such, he made me feel young. Like he has such a youthful presence in a good way about him. Um, he is a happy go lucky kid who loves to play basketball. That's what he loves to do. Like he does not see this as a job. He does not see the weight of the world on his shoulders because where the family that he is coming from, the expectations of being um, a ball with the dad and the brother and, and with the reality shows and everything that's kind of come with it. And um, I enjoyed my, I think he's ready for to be the number one pick. I think he's ready to be in this league um, for a long time. I think it will be a little bit of a work in progress here, but uh, I, I think he's got all the, the talent in, in the world here. I mean, is your sense that, that he's okay coming here? I mean, my sense is yes, that maybe, maybe dad, I mean, dad's on record saying, give me New York. Maybe that camp wants a big market, New York, Chicago, but, but there is some appeal. In fact, I think there's a lot of appeal, Bobby, to being the number one pick. Then my understanding is LaMelo Ball, if he goes number one here to Minnesota, he's cool with that. Oh, yeah. I don't think there is a, um, 
you know, a, uh, um, I guess an Eli Manning situation where he is going to say, I don't want to play in San Diego or, and I want to go play in New York. Um, I think he would be content with, uh, I mean, that, there's a lot of honor that comes with being the number one pick in the draft. You know, it goes, you go up there with the, the likes of, you know, Carl and Patrick Ewing and guys, uh, David Robinson and Tim Duncan, like that's, that's pretty nice honor. So yeah, I don't, I don't see a situation where he's going to hold out um, for, for better things uh, down the road or, or his agent kind of threatened the Timberwolves saying that he will not come there. I'll stay for a few more minutes. I guess who are some of the other draft prospects that, that you helped prepare for these interviews? You know, I guess who else stood out to you? Yeah, you know what? Um, you know, Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa State, um, probably one of the um, um, better interviews that I've had. Um, really just polished, um, really professional here. Um, Daniel Ortoro from Minnesota um, kind of went, brought, went him through the ringer. Um, I just love talking to players and, and seeing kind of kind of where they are. I, I call it an open book, right? The open book on their lives from chapter one to 20. And that's what teams want to know about you. Most teams go through it already having the answers, right? Now it is a confirmation um, standpoint as far as, you know, are you telling the truth and everything? And, you know, Darren, one of the big things that I like to zero in on is the G League with these players here. And, um, I think it's important to educate draft prospects on the G League because there will be a situation during their rookie year or their four years in a league where they will likely spend some time in the G League, either if they're coming off an injury, um, if, they're, if their minutes aren't there, um, and they need to get some run there. And, and that's the big question. I, I, always, I always ask the player and I say, you know, like, if I'm Gerson Rosas and I'm and I'm I'm thinking of drafting you, and we're going to pick you at 17, but your first year, there's going to be times where you're going to be in the G League. What is your reaction to that? And you know, I've had players say to me, "Well, don't draft me," you know. And then I, I kind of put my hand up and I said, well, "Wait a minute, let, let's all right now we're stopping the interview. Let's walk through this again." And and I and I really want to just tell them, "Hey, this is not a penalty." The G League is not a penalty system. You're not, you didn't do anything wrong. It is the, the greatest developmental tool that players can have who are trying to get into the rotation, get into the starting lineup. I mentioned Fred Van Vliet. I mentioned Pascal Siakam, Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn. I mean, we can go on and on here. And I, but I just think it's important for players coming into the draft um, to educate them on, on the G League. And that's, that's kind of the, one of my biggest focus with these players. Who are some under-the-radar potential trade targets for Gerson? And I'll give you a sec to think about it, Bobby. Like, I'll give you yeah. one that, that has stood out to me in the Orlando bubble. Niang from Utah. Was a yeah. really good player at Iowa State. He's got one year left in his deal. Utah's probably too smart to deal him. But, like, if I'm yeah. Rosas, I'm targeting guys like that. Like, I think Niang would be a really good fit here in Minnesota. Are there any, are there any names that jump out to you that are under the radar? Well, before he exploded in, um, in, or in Orlando, I would have said Gary Trent Jr., but I think Gary's probably um, – I would think he was off the market. He's kind of one of my guys I think is, you know, the, one of my extension-eligible um, type, type guy. Niang is a great name. I mean, he's another one of those guys that Utah – and what Utah does and the beauty of them is they, they bring in – probably and not this year. They bring in over like 100 guys during the draft process. You know, they interview to work out, and they just – find these guys like the Royce O'Neills, the guys, these, these undrafted guys, maybe some went over to play in, um, in, in Europe and, and similar to what Miami's been able to do and Toronto has been able to do and sign these guys to these three-year deals on, um, you know, non-guaranteed, uh, non-guaranteed contracts and stuff. And it's, um, you know, it's an interesting process as far as how they go about building those rosters. I mean, there's a chance that Gerson is already doing that here with that Nas Reed contract. Yeah. He went undrafted. Even Jalen Noel is, is a second-round yep. pick. He was the Pac-12 player of the year. The next three years are all non-guaranteed. So they paid him pretty well in year one. But for the next three years, they have the hammer on Jalen Noel. And I think Noel's got a chance to, to be a player. So we're starting to see that here in Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, it's similar to what Denver has done. They did that with Monty Morris, right, that in, from Iowa State. They have him on, you know, he's going into the uh, last year. Um, he's another guy extension eligible, and you get him, you sign these players to these 
these, these three-year, four-year deals, um, you guarantee the first year, it's like almost giving them a loan, and then you, get, and then you have a non-guaranteed for you know, years two, three, and four, and you have a, a team-controlled contract. What do you think it's like right now for Rosas Bobby with, with what appears to be the pending sale of the team? That, yeah. Glenn Taylor's gone down this road before, and he's changed his mind. But I think at 79 years old, it's more real than ever, that I think it's when, not if. It's still a multi-month process. There is still a long way to go, but Daniel E. Strauss appears to be yeah. the front runner. Like, if you're Gerson, how do you process that, that, that you may soon have a new boss? I kind of, you kind of turn back the clock from when he was in Houston when Tillman Fertitta bought the team, right? I mean, I think that's what you're, he's going to need to rely on. And, and as far as kind of walking through the step-by-step process as, as of how they educated Tillman on the business of basketball, um, the salary cap, the roster, certainly internally as far as how Gerson has been able to build the front office there. Um, and I think you just have to have a confidence about, it. hey, I'm going into year two. I've been entrusted. This is, hey, when I got here, um, I think jo- Josh Okoji and Carl, like the only two guys left, right? And we've tur- we, we have, trust me with the ability to turn over this roster to eventually get it right. Our books are balanced. We've got D'Angelo. Um, we've got the number one pick in the draft. We've got two more other picks. Uh, and I think, yes, you're probably going to have to sell them as far as what your vision is going to be. That's, you know, and it, it, but it's similar to when Gerson interviewed for the job, right? It's almost like he's going through that interview again. But as I said, he, he's been through it already as far as what happened in, in Houston. Whether they move pick one or maybe 17, how important should it be for the Wolves to acquire a first-round pick next year? Bobby, their pick is, is top three protected. Yeah. But otherwise, Golden State gets it from the Russell trade. In all likelihood, the Wolves won't have their pick in a year. All signs point to next year's draft being really, really good. Like, how, yeah. how big of a goal should that be for Rosas to acquire a first-round pick next year? I, I think it's important. I mean, it's, you know, now you're kind of – what happens is now you there's a process of elimination, right? So you eliminate teams like – um, the Clippers who don't have a pick to trade, right? Like you kind of go in, you go in there, um, you know, where do, um, you know, teams like Oklahoma City that has that bountiful of, of picks there from that Paul George trade from for futures. You know, one of the things that, uh, you know, you just kind of write down it notes, you know, internally is that, you know, what are the value of those Mavericks picks that the Knicks have? They've got a 2021 unprotected, probably not as high right now based on what Luca is, doing um so that's kind of where you target what is this one can you flip one for eight and get you 21 and 23 right like just kind of those different um those different ideas because now that gives you a a, you know a first round pick and a draft that could be potentially really good what about mitchell robinson i like mitchell robinson but he's another one of those guys on those young those cheap contracts right guy who's kind of extension eligible but yeah like if you're going to go in that direction um, in flipping, you know, moving back seventh spot, it's not just the picks that would come back. You'd have to want to target one of those young players. Juancho Hernan Gomez, what's a realistic contract for the restricted free agent? Yeah, it's and he had his best stretch of basketball when in, in Minnesota. So um, I probably want, I wanted to see more from him over those six weeks before the season was um, postponed. But I mean, I think he's probably in that four to five million dollar range. I, it's you know, it, what's hard for me to, to gauge this market is that we've talked about the teams with cap space. Is that you know the other twenty teams have um, you know their mid um, you know their mid level uh, you know their mid level exception here, and and that is a priority for teams. Like you know, you're not just going to be able to go out and you know give guys five to six million dollar contracts. Teams teams are going to be cautious. Where are teams with cash flow? Right. As far as um, how this pandemic has hit, I think teams are a little bit going to be a little more cautious as far as how much money they're going to go out and commit, especially in, a, uh, in an overpay on an offer sheet. Finally, the, the Orlando bubble has has worked out all things considered. It's it's worked out brilliantly. Who do you have winning the East? Who do you have winning the West? Well, if you had asked me before the season started, I had Denver winning the West, and that pick does not look very good right now. So, and I know they've had some injuries here, but um, in the East, I, I mean, I like what Toronto's been able to do. I mean, we'll see what Kyle with his uh, with the ankle, you know, with the sprained ankle here, but their ability to just lock in 
in, in the, um, from a defensive standpoint um, at the end of these games. And yeah, that Brooklyn series, except for game two, is, was really non-competitive here. But um, I like what Toronto's been able to do. Milwaukee scares me in spots. Um, you know, Boston is dangerous. I mean, we're heading into a, a final, potential Final Four, which could be really special. In the West, I mean, if the Lakers play like that first half or that, I guess, first three quarters last They'll win the championship then. They'll they'll win. I mean, when LeBron is on that speed and everyone is kind of in like, you know, slow-mo, it felt, and guys are making shots and the role players are playing like that, they're as as good as they get. I mean, the Clippers, you you always relied on their depth, right? Like, you know, with with Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell, I was not expecting to see kind of where we are with Paul George right now. You know, I, I, I was not expecting him to be a guy that's, you know, averaging 14 points and has really looked pedestrian out there. Um, so we'll see, go, you know, with, uh, with that Maverick series, where that goes there. Um, I, I did like the, the Clippers, but I need Paul George playing like all-star Paul George. I mean, that's, it's plain and simple. Kawhi um, cannot do it all on himself. It's different than where he was in Toronto when you knew you had Kyle, you knew you had Fred, you knew, you knew you had Pascal, you had Danny. Um, so we'll see what happens with the Clippers. But, yeah, I mean, if the Lakers play like they did against uh, Portland so far, they are going to be a tough out. ESPN's Bobby Mark. Certainly interesting what he said about preparing guys, Halliburton, Oturu, specifically LaMelo Ball for these draft interviews. Ball will interview with the Wolves in the near future. I'll hammer it home again that I am led to believe that Ball is plenty comfortable going number one, that going number one has appeal. Anthony Edwards is plenty happy going number one. He, on his Instagram story over the weekend, put a picture of himself in a Wolves jersey. Those close to Anthony have told me that he would love to go number one. Going number one has all sorts of sex appeal. So whether it's Ball, Edwards, somebody else, the Wolves will get FaceTime with all these draft prospects. But make no mistake, even if Papa Ball wants the Knicks or a big market, he's on the record saying that, that LaMelo Ball is comfortable coming here to Minnesota. By the way, on Oturu, he has draft interviews coming up with Washington and Cleveland. He did his first last week with the Chicago Bulls. He remains in Santa Barbara training at P3 Sports Science. He'll be back in the Twin Cities in the coming weeks. All right, let me now transition to my conversation on Friday morning, the day after the Wolves won the lottery, with Wolves head coach Ryan Saunders. Coach, congratulations. Take us back to the room last night. Okay, so the telecast goes to commercial. Okay, we come back from commercial. It's it's who? Chicago with the four envelope. Yep. Charlotte with the three envelope. Okay, at that point, you know you either have the one or the two pick. Yeah. The number two envelope is revealed. It's it's Golden State. You can celebrate. You have the number one pick. Just paint mm-hmm. that picture for us in the room last night. <laughs> well, first off, thanks for having me, Doogie. Um, you know, it, it's uh, it was different because, you know, we are still in a pandemic. So, you know, we were still, you know, six feet apart. Uh you know, until we got the number one pick, uh, we were still wearing masks. So, you know, there was still a different feel, but, you know, we haven't had a lot of interaction in our facility in meeting rooms so far. So it felt good to just be with, you know, people that, that you work with and have that sense of normalcy. But as it comes to, when it comes to the pick, you know, it, it was a big night for our franchise, especially in our development and, and how we're, we're building this thing out um, that stage. It was, it was a good next step. And, we feel comfortable doing the way we've done things and, uh, you know, doing things the right way and, and having, having success like last night, you know, a little bit of luck in the lottery. Um, you know, we know we're going to be, add, be able to add, you know, some nice pieces in this draft. In this particular draft, how, how valuable an asset is that number one pick? Oh, it's a huge asset, a huge asset. And, you know, we've spent, you know, we've spent a ton of time through, you know, the shelter in place, um, through, just through this pandemic, you know, virtually uh, where we, we've been able to um, meet and really dive into, you know, a lot of draft guys, a lot of draft eligible players and, you know, find who will be the best fit for the Minnesota Timberwolves, you know, whatever that looks like. And, you know, I, I can't give Gerson enough credit, you know, for his process of, of diligence with, with, 
know, his staff in the front office and the way, you know, we work, you know, closely with them as a coaching staff in terms of, you know, being involved in meetings, but also, you know, being a group that, that, you know, we want everybody's opinion as we dive into things. And, you know, Gerson is very collaborative. So, uh, you know, and I know he'll be aggressive too. He, he, he's always aggressive. So, um, you know, that's one of the, one of the great things about, I think, our, our organization and where we're going. On those draft interviews, I mean, as you know, I mean, there's a handful of locally based draft prospects. So, you know, knowing yeah. those kids back, you know, a number of years, they've told me, and a lot of these kids have gone through a number of interviews. Ryan, they've told me that, that interviewing with you guys, it was the most diligent, you know, yeah. lengthy, but, but in a good way that, that you guys really are just, you're locked in on these interviews. I mean, a lot of these interviews are going like 90 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what, it's, it's uh, we have a process to how, how we we're going to do things. And, you know, I've, I know I can sound like a broken record sometimes, even during the season, especially when you're speaking to the media three times a day uh, on game days, but you know, we're, we're going to trust our, our processes and our way, ways of doing things and know that the outcomes uh, feel comfortable with the outcomes when they come. And, you know, we, we're, we're a group that believes in not skipping steps and leaving no stone, stone unturned. Uh, so, you know, these draft interviews, it's been, it's been fun for me in a way because I, you know, you have more time now to really dive into these guys when, when I maybe didn't have as much time in the past or even la last summer, um, you know, in terms of, being able to really get get involved. So I've, I've really enjoyed being a part of this process too. Okay, so I'm guessing your phone is just, is it blowing up? Like how much did you sleep last night? I'm guessing the, the text messages have been endless from from both friends and, and a lot of people across the league just saying, hey, yeah. you know, what do you guys want for that first pick? <laughs> uh, well, I got a 14 month, month old son who, who's got a 5 a.m. Uh, wake up call usually, you know, natural wake up call. Uh, so, you know, didn't sleep much as it was, but you know, I enjoyed the, enjoyed the night with our, with our group and, you know, just to be around those guys, but there were a lot of text messages, a lot of phone calls and Hey, you, you get to people, you know, kind of, um, you know, when, when you, when you can, cause you want to be thoughtful in your responses too. Uh, and you know, we, we know that we're in a very good position and we've had players in here working out too. And, you know, guys have already gotten done working out. It's, you know, in the morning right now. And, uh, guys were already on the court. So these guys are energized and, and we're, we're ready to continue to, to keep working. I'll ask you about some of those guys that were on the court this morning, but, but just last night again, I mean, was it, was it hard, Ryan, not to think about your dad? I mean, I think about May of 2015 and in the video that, that went viral and, and he oftentimes, Gerson talked to us about this last night that, that flip oftentimes would talk about hope that, that, yeah. you know, you don't want to be in the lottery, but if you oh. are, it at least offers some hope. But I'm just wondering if, if last night, if, if you thought about your dad at, at different times. I did, Doogie. And, you know, I think about him a lot. And, and it's, it's a different, it's, it's a different um, you know, thinking now, I'd say, you know, than it was, you know, when, when he first passed. Um, you know, because I, I know he's proud of where things are going. I, I know that. And, but, it, you know, in, on a day like yesterday, it, it reminds you of, and I actually did, did talk to Gerson because, we, you know, we talk, we talk, you know, 20 times a day. But it's it's uh, uh, we were just talking about the lottery, and I remember that you know I think what what you're talking about, what he said, my dad had said was the year that we were going to get that we ended up getting John Wall in D.C. Uh, I remember we got together as a uh, as a as a um, organization, a small organization in, in the Washington locker room, and and to watch watch it. And this was one of my first years in the NBA, and I you know kind of a edgy kid in a way, I guess. I, I, I was like, Dad, I was like, why are we here watching this? I feel like a loser watching this right now. And, and, and he, he told me, he's like, hey, he's like, you can't ever say that. He goes, because when you're in a, pro in a process and you're in, in the process of building something that you believe in, the, the lottery is a day of hope because it's a day that you can look, look forward to that, that you know, things can change from here out and you can, you can generate hope. And that was that positive energy that, that he had, and hey, we saw it yesterday when the Timberwolves posted that you know when when we uh, when we got Carl ended up getting Carl, and I told Carl yesterday that that video, you know, we weren't cheering because we we got the number one pick, we were cheering because we got Carl Anthony Towns, you know, and, and and we still feel that way. Yeah, I would say that worked out pretty well on on Cat. So he was he was one of the players in this morning with you. Yeah, he's he's been working. So he's um, you know, he was in here. You know, I want to say at six thirty, and uh, I mean he's putting putting work in now he's in the weight room so 
um, it's been great, great having him around. And, um, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's been through it. And, um, you know, we just want to want to be there for him too. And, uh, you know, he's, he's very, uh, you know, he's such a thoughtful person. He's, and he's, he's somebody that, you know, I really hope that, that a lot of young people and just people going through difficulties can draw strength from because his strength through such a tough time in, in his life, um, as well as his, his dad's strength is really admirable. I suppose you now need D'Angelo for anything where, where there might be a little luck involved, like whether it's recruiting a free agent or, or who knows what the scenario is, but he was, he was the lucky charm last night. Hey, Gerson said it. He's a closer. You know, there, there's, a, there's a reason we brought him here. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was happy for, for D'Angelo too because, you know, this is, um, you know, D'Angelo is a face of this franchise too. And, you know, he's, he's earned that in this league. And, uh, you know, we're happy, really happy that he's a Minnesota Timberwolf. Uh, we're happy that he was able to experience that last night and, and really know that, hey, this is, this is home. And, uh, and we, we look forward to building this thing. Does he have to be on the ball or does he have that flexibility? I mean, I guess we saw it at times in Brooklyn where, or Golden State where, where he can be off the ball. Yeah, I mean, we, we saw this this year a little bit when uh, we started putting him off the ball when teams, teams were trapping him. Uh, you know, when, when we went on a little stretch and, you know, obviously that, that was one of the disappointments of, of not being involved in the bubble is, you know, you hope you get, get a healthy team back and then you're able to really make some noise or really, you know, see what you have actually because these guys only had one game together. But, you know, when we went on a little stretch in, in uh, starting in Miami, you know, winning some games there, you know, teams started, started trapping D'Angelo. We started playing Jordan McLaughlin with them, playing D'Angelo off the ball a little bit and it ended up working out for us. So, um, you know, we're, we've spent a lot of time, you know, looking at creative ways to get him, you know, off the ball, keep him on the ball, but also really just maximize those, those two guys because, you know, hey, at, at the end of the day, I feel, you know, as coaches, our job is to, you know, put a framework in, put a system in, um, and then get out of the way in terms of these guys are so talented, so good, you know, let them be who they are, but, but give them structure, um, but, but really let them be who they are. I suppose it was a roundabout way of me, you know, I guess wanting to ask about, you think about Ball and Wiseman, right? I mean, you've got Ball who's a one, Wiseman who's a five, and you've got Cad and Russell who are a one and a five. But I guess with, with Cad and Russell, they have position flexibility. So, I mean, presumably there's nobody that's, that's not in consideration for that top pick. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, that's, that's something that we, we've been adamant about in terms of, of you know, the quote-unquote positionless type basketball, um, you know, being able to move guys around and, you know, this year, you know, you saw, you know, some some of our, our wings were in positions where where the, the five may be. Uh, some of our, our fives were in positions where, where the point guard may be at times, you know, cat handling in, in some ball screens. So, you know, it, it's, hey, you, you, you try to acquire talent. And uh, there's a lot of talent in this draft. And, uh, you know, we're excited. I mean, with a lot of talent, three picks in the top 33, I mean, you know, rightfully so. A lot of the spotlights on you guys winning the lottery last night. But you think about pick seventeen, pick thirty-three. Like, yeah. if you're talking about this being a good draft, maybe an underrated draft, three in yeah. the top thirty-three is pretty darn nice. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of capital there. A lot, a lot, you know, can be done. Um, you know, assets, uh, you know, to have as well. So, you know, it's um, it, it was a, it was a great night, and, and we're looking forward to what we're able to do moving forward. I'll hit you with one more. So, finally, some clearance on on what, it's a mini camp, or at least you can bring guys, it'll be a bubble-esque, you know, environment. I mean, I suppose it's, it's beneficial yeah. that, that the Lowe's Hotel is right there. So you guys can create this bubble and, and this thing's a go come September with these, with these mini camps, you know, with these eight teams? Yeah, I mean, we're learning more, more and more on the details of things. And, you know, safety is, is number one priority, uh, you know, a high priority uh, for, you know, our guys, for everybody involved. Um, and, you know, you, you, you have to give, you know, Commissioner Silver, uh, Michelle Roberts, you have to give the, the NBA and the Players Association a lot of credit, uh, you know, for, for what they've been able, able to do in Orlando so far. Um, but, you know, we will do everything we, we need to do to, to create something safe, um, you know, and, and also get working, get working, but, but get working in, in a way that, that we feel uh, we can move forward and we can also build chemistry. Our team would, um, you know, we, we, uh, we, we wish we had more time together during that season. We really do. But, you know, this is, this is going to be good for us, and we're really looking forward to it. I mean, hey, you, you might be able to see the, sense the excitement in my voice. I'm, I just, you know, getting back on the court, you know, feels good. 
I mean, it's just, and it feels right, right. That, that yeah. you can, you can, you know, watch these guys play five on five in your facility. Like, think about it. Your last game was what, March 10th or March yeah. 11th. Yeah. Who knows when next season starts? Like you need to have something like this. It's only fair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is. And you know, we're big believers in you, you control what you can control. Um, you know, it, in, in not just in, in sports, but in life. And, you know, Gerson and I talk about that a lot. And, you know, so whatever, whatever guidance we get, we've gotten from the league, um, we take it and we, we move with it. And, you know, you can, you can push for, for more, you can push for, you know, things that you want and things that you feel you need. But at the end of the day, that you do things the right way. Um, you find a way to make the most out of whatever situation you're in. And then you, you plug, plug forward and you, uh, you keep working and, and you deal, deal with the, the cards you were dealt. Wolves head coach Ryan Saunders. The pluses and minuses of Zoom. Certainly on the plus side, convenience, right? Like I can't always get into the radio studio. Podcasting slash radio time, pecking order wise, is pretty low on my priority list. Unfortunately, it's just the way it is. My main job, the A job, is television, trying to produce stuff for Channel 5. So, like, doing this isn't a high priority. I wish it was more of a priority, but it's just, it is what it is, right? Control what you can control, right? Like Ryan just said, and I can only control, you know, my my main employer and what they seek from me on a daily basis. So certainly being able to do some Zooms at atypical times from my house is convenient. The negatives, though, I think at one point you would have heard Alexa in the background. I forgot to turn off Alexa. Then you heard my two sons, Drew and Keaton, screaming. Nine and six years old, they have energy galore. They have the mouth of their dad, so they both are loud, boisterous. They love to scream. They love to fight. So, of course, you know, we have some space in the house, but, like, there's no separation. You know, it doesn't matter what room I'm in at the house doing a Zoom interview. Undoubtedly, if they are there, you will hear them. So apologies for for if you heard the two boys in the background of that Saunders conversation. I was able to knock out Bobby Marks this morning when the two boys were at swimming lessons. I timed that out brilliantly. All right, I have a Jared Vanderbilt interview from a couple weeks ago, but I'm just up against it. I need to get back to the A job. So I will call it a podcast right now. I will save that interview for a future podcast. We are done on this Tuesday night, the 25th of August. Always appreciate you listening. This has been Scoop Podcast episode 311. Stay safe, stay sane.